Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. I hope you're all enjoying this unbelievable marketplace. Everybody's making money. If you're not making money, get a new job or get a new advisor. It is absolutely the best time we've experienced uh, since I was in Perth in the oil and gas boom and the mining boom. It's, uh, yeah, it's just great. Um, speaking of oil and gas mining commodities, today's guest is Paul Chapman. He's the managing partner of Human Capital. So he's been with them for 20 years, uh, went through an MBO process, and now himself and his business partner now run the business. And it's really interesting when you take over a successful established business, what do you keep? What do you change? How do you modernize without actually, you know, affecting all the good work that you did? And we delved into that subject today. So it was really interesting. Also, um, Human Capital are an executive search business, but they have an engine room like a contingent business. And they have a marketing solution, which is as modern as, well, as modern as the one that we run ourselves in-house. So um, I wanted to kind of get under the hood of that, what that means, where they're going with it, what's worked, what hasn't worked. He's based out of Houston, but they have offices in Abu Dhabi, in Singapore, and in London and New York. So really exciting time for his business, his sector, and there's a real opportunity in executive search for those who are modernizing because in the past it was all cloaks and daggers and like you had your black book and you had the relationships. Well, now the market has, has changed. Everybody has can find the people, uh, or mostly. It's how do we engage? How do we build communities? And Paul's really cracked that with how they've gone about things. So hope you enjoy this. Um, I, as ever, this podcast is sponsored by Luxo. No Luxo, no party. Let me tell you, this is the best talent intelligence system that we have come across. We're using it in our business. We're loving it. Also, if you're enjoying the show and you want to come on, let me know. If you want to be part of our free private community, the dinghy or the bridge, just hit me up. Um, it's their WhatsApp groups. You can find out everything you need about running, scaling, and uh, building up your agency for sale or a lifestyle business or whatever type of business you want to run. We've got a specific group for you. Um, so if you want to join hundreds of recruitment leaders, please just hit us up on that. I hope, hope you're all enjoying it. If you have any ideas for me on content or the podcast, love to hear it. Have a great day. Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. I'm joined today by Paul Chapman from Human Capital. How are you today? Yeah, good. Thanks, Toto. Thanks for, for thanks for inviting us. Yeah, great to get great to chat to you. You're uh, out in Houston, are you? Yep, I'm based in Houston. I've been here for as long as we've had a business here. So this is actually coming up to my thirteenth year. Thirteenth year in Houston. Where were you before that? So I started with with HC. I started my recruitment career with HC, um, two thousand four in London. Um, so I was uh, there for 
three years um and then uh yeah put my hand up to, to launch a u.s business and uh and did that and yeah and still here 13 years later wow what were the early days like at hc what was what were your first few years there <clears throat> so look i think hc um was very quickly, if not from inception, became focused on the commodities markets and was focused on being a search firm um, in terms of the product that we provided. And, and so it was a fantastic time, right? You know, there was a lot of opportunity in, in on two planes. Firstly, was this was really at the time of the rise of the boutique search firm, which was offering that contextualized shortlist, the mapping, the, the consultancy around um, the recruitment process that only really the Shreks had done previously. So that was a great time, you know, being at the forefront of that. Um, and secondly, being focused on the commodities sector, it was such, you know, there was a very famous um, piece in the Financial Times back in 2005, which was if you could spell derivatives, you could earn a million bucks in, in commodities. So, you know, at the time we thought it would last forever and it was fantastic. And we were placing, you know, 60 people a year and, and half of those would be fee caps. You know, it was, it was sort of a tremendous fun. And, um, and actually, what was fantastic about it as well was that the commodities markets at that time was quite a young market as well. So at the time, I thought, you know, I was 23 or whatever it was, and I thought I was placing these ancient guys and girls, but actually, you know, they were in their 30s. Um, you know, and, and we have actually grown with that community, so that many of those people that we placed 15 years ago, you know, we're still, still working with today. For anybody listening who isn't too sure what commodities is because it's quite a general term can you kind of give an insight into what, what what that is what you recruit for yes um so the simplest thing is these are commodities are the products that we all consume daily raw materials that um are the technical term is you know they're, they're priced to the the marginal cost of production rather than you know um having any value added to it so you've got metals commodities you've got energy commodities and you've got agricultural commodities um, metals, you know, gold, silver, but also iron ore, steel. In energy, it's things like gas, oil, even power. And on the ag side, it's the wheats and the grains and so forth. And all of these are traded globally. Uh, they're very much traded markets. And um, people, you know, traders can sit there and make a significant amount of money intermediating that supply chain. Um, so it's, it's a fascinating um, world because it's ultimately kind of an a, a nexus point of geopolitics, geo resources, um, now including energy transition and climate change and so forth. So these are, it's a fascinating market that we just happened to get focused on all those years ago. All right. That, that's quite a broad spectrum, eh? Yeah. So it's a, it's a very big and also a very small world. So it's very big in terms of it touches everything. Um, it's it just, you know, significant part of the global GDP is dedicated to the commodities world, right? And some countries like Brazil or parts of West Africa are solely tied to commodities. Um, however, within that world, we human capital, for the most most of its history is focused on the trading commodities. So the traders and all the personnel that sit around that. And that's actually quite a small um, community. Yeah. Uh, we've certainly grown and diversified out of that. And, you know, today we're likely to place someone in plant protein or in, you know, global shipping roles or in renewables as we are a commodity trader, but it's still at the core of, of our business um, since inception. Huh. So it, it, 
so so one minute you're placing traders in in London, and then the next, you like how does that how does that join together? <laughs> so so I think we take a step back and say that um, you know we are this search firm focused on the commodity value chains. Yeah, search bid is you know that's our product, right? That is we do business critical hires, so the, the caliber of the individual will directly correlate to the performance of the business, and therefore our clients want the best they can. And mm -hmm. um, you know they're paying us retainers, so their expectation of the contextual information around that shortlist is really high, right? We yeah. would really partner them to deliver these C-suite candidates or whatever it might be. All of that is empowered by us being specialized in this market. Okay. Um, we are only better than, a, than a, the next nearest search firm if the role requires someone with that expertise from commodities. And that means that more, more, they're more likely to know our name. They're more likely to pick up the phone. Mm -hmm. um, then we are more able to assess those candidates, contextualize them against their peers, and then ultimately more likely to be able to close them because we're more aware of current market conditions. Yeah. Now, that does mean that what we can't do is go and say one minute we're going to be doing a commodity trader in London and the next minute we're going to be doing a biochemical scientist in West Coast, you know, because we won't know that community. So it means that we have to grow the business and have grown the business. I always think of it more like an expanding balloon, right? We're yeah. always increasing our level of coverage of communities, yeah. always tied back to this, this idea in this world of commodities, which is, again, vast. If you're involved in pet food, right, you're still ultimately dealing with ingredients that are commodities, whether yeah. that's additives, whether that's grains. Likewise, if you're dealing in aluminum steel manufacturing, you're still you know, tied to those raw materials. Mm -hmm. And it's the, same, it's the same community at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. Gotcha. Um, all right. So you've been with this company for a long time and you recently went through an MBO. Can you walk us through what that process was? Yeah. Um, so as I said, Human Capital started in 2004. Um, yeah. It was founded by two individuals, Justin Pearson and Nick Watt. And like, since inception, those two also said, look, our goal is to, to grow the business but to sell it ultimately to its current employees. Mm. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, I think 15 years later, that's, that's what happened. Yeah. Um, and, you know. How, how, and, how, how does that happen? How, do they just come <clears> in one day and go, you've been here the longest. Do you fancy a crack at it? Oh, well, I don't think it was necessarily, I don't want to, I don't want to give the impression it was a smooth ride. Um, yeah. But I think the intent was there from the start and, over that 15-year period, through a variety of mechanisms, long-term incentive plans, options, and other things, they built up a group of individuals who had some stake beyond their annual compensation in the business. Mm. I wouldn't actually say that's the reason why any of us stayed, and ultimately, Damien Stewart, my co-head, and I you know, now share the business. I mean, the reason why we actually stayed was because of the, the values of the company, its investment in us, you know, mm. HC put me through an MBO, uh, an MBA, sorry, uh, here in Houston, at Rice University, um, that, that meant that every day we were challenged and we were excited by the business. And we also, crucially, though, saw that the business wasn't going to be sold to some private equity group and we'd all be, you know, out in our ear or whatever it was. That, that was important to you. Yeah, look, I think... So I, I think that you have to have it's an, an organization. It's a non-traditional viewpoint because normally it's... Well, if you're an owner, of course, you want to sell to private equity because that's how you get your big payout, yeah. right? I think it depends on how much you're in love with your 
your career and you are with your business, yeah. right? So um, it was clear, you know, Justin Pearson, our, our former CEO was very clear, this is what I want to do. Um, I think if someone had come along and offered an obscene amount of money, he would have taken it. But, you know, it was, he felt that the, the way that he could best monetize the business for himself was to pass it on to people who knew its value mm -hmm. and who would be able to continue to pay him out, you know, by through, through low notes, all those good things, by continuing the performance of the business, mm. right? If you, if you go to private equity, you're always going to get a discount, you know, depending on you know, what the payout terms are. Mm. Whereas if your future owners are going to take it off you, you, you know, you can get a, a better value for it, but you're taking that risk that they've got to be able to continue to improve the business. Right. How does that process work? Is there, do you have your own broker that's working for you and he has a broker that's working for them or is it you guys and a bunch of lawyers or like that? No, that's I mean, tough negotiation scenario. So I, so I think it has to be done with a due sense of, and you know, and we've gone through a couple of iterations of this. Ultimately, we, we were very lucky and we were all great friends and we worked together for 17 years mm. and his, his, his goals and time of life had reached a point where he wanted to de-risk yeah. and we wanted to risk up. And it was just a, a, a series of conversations, but we'd had precedence actually as an organization because we bought out Nick Watt, one of the original founders. So I don't want to in any way suggest that that wasn't really, um, it wasn't challenging at times. Mm. It's a difficult conversation. It always is when, when lots of money is involved and so forth. But I think, you know, I look back and I think about, Actually, you know, we we had someone there who um, was who held true to his values and you know treated us incredibly fairly and was excited for us to take the business on its next journey. Um, Talk to me about the process of so you you get the paperwork done. You're all still friends, just about, <laughs> <laughs> and you go through a bit of a journey of discovery. You've done an MBA and you've done a an MBA. Um, you're probably like getting into a series of putting that study into this new business that you're that you've taken over. What what's the first thing you did in order to create a to create change, but also to have like keep the core values and the stuff that you love from the business? So, <clears throat> as part of that process, so first thing to say is, of course, that we were. Damien and I were, were key parts of the business and many of the decisions the business had made were we'd had either had influence over or directly made, right? So it wasn't like it was a, um, you know, a, a stark transition. And we also, in order to buy the business, had to present to the board then what our plan would be so that they were sure they would get their money, right? So, you know, we had that opportunity to do kind of that review as well. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of things I would say is firstly, um, if you were to ask Justin, I think he always says, I wish I'd spent more time investing in you guys to make what is an incredibly huge transition going from a recruitment leader to a business owner, and mm -hmm. especially a small business where you're surviving off your own retained yeah. earnings, right? Um, you were running a P&L still up until the MBO, were you? Yeah, yeah. But we, you know, there's, again, I think there's a, a you know, it's ultimately when you're at our scale, it's all about cash, okay? And being able to forecast that. And the business had been run really robustly by Justin. And it was, I think he's a natural at that kind of stuff. Mm. And so there was a big transition, just learning actually how to run business. And our business like ours is incredibly complicated because we've got 10 different entities, six different offices, 
you know, you've, you're working in 10 different currencies. You know, this isn't a simple business at all, um, just given how broadly geographically we are spread. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that was the a real learning. And, you know, I think something that Damon and I have taken from that is, you know, it takes a long time to be able to support people to step up into, into these kind of roles where, you know, they can deal more with that uncertainty. They can deal more with all the complexity around things that they've probably never been exposed to before. I, you know, I, you know, I certainly wasn't exposed to, you know, um, to certain elements that I'm, you know, through through COVID and other other various scrapes have, have, have learned it, right? Um, the second thing to say is I think what what we would what what we did, which I think was so crucial, was um, make sure that we we gave the business our the, the identity we wanted it to have and and um <clears throat> that you know we and we just spent a lot of time focusing in on what's our mission and what are our values to the point where we hired an, you know an external consultant to come in and really help us with that narrative yeah. um you know in I've, our gone second through that pro- I've gone through that process as well it's really yeah, interesting. it's really interesting and it's so powerful we got the entire company together this is 2019 in Istanbul, and we, over the course of three days, all 40 of us baked in, we walked out with just these three values, right? We call them the three HCs, human connection, human collaboration, and human capital, human connection, our connections define us, we're a search firm, everything comes around, right? And that internally as well, human collaboration, investing to understand, you've got to be able to deliver that level of understanding of markets, of community, of your clients, to all those people you operate with. And then human capital was the, the freedom to unlock shared value. Mm. You know, shared value has got to be a win-win. Our entire business is around because of repeat business. As a search firm, you can't just plow through clients or candidates. Um, but that freedom bit, the, the, the ability to choose who we work with, right, was just crucial. Um, so we walked out with a really defined set of values. And then I think Damien and I spent a lot, and we're still on this journey together, right? We, we spent a lot of time, and the, uh, the advice of Justin, what, what is, what are our shared goals? What are the goals that we have? What are our... Yeah. What are they? Medium? Well, we say um, is HC for life, okay. which is kind of the, uh, this idea that actually... Like, like Scientology? <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> well, gosh. Um, but basically this idea was to say, look, all of our professional success and goals are yeah. going to be met through HC, okay. right? And... We, you know, let's say that that's, we're, I'm 40, he's a little bit older, but, um, you know, by the time we're 50, I just I jest with him on that one. Uh, by the time we're 50, you know, we want to be in a situation where we've, we, we're passing the business on to the next generation. Um, but crucially, it says two things. Firstly, it is about the journey, right? It's got to be about enjoying the journey and building a business that you love and working with people that you love and having that, you know, it's, there's not some... I want to flip it in three years and become a multimillionaire, right? It's, it is about that journey. It's about building an organization that is true to our mission. Um, and then, you know, secondly, it's, it's not about short-term wins or, uh, you know, coming full circle back to the original question. It's not about trying to flip it, right? Um, because that's, you know, that's not a, a personal goal of ours. It doesn't fit in that idea of it being a journey. And actually the, the value set way back when in HC, if we want to be an employee in business, if we want to be able to pass this on to the next generation. And what else does like 
the shared value to the people who work for you mean to them? So I think having those values in place gives everyone a, a point of reference to be able to identify behaviors that are in line with our values, positive, and behaviors that aren't, right? And they're also your lodestone in dealing with uncertainty. So we come back to, you know, May last, April last year, COVID strikes, you know, it was terrifying, right? Um, yeah. You know, but having those values in place, we're able to say, okay, you know, we, we, we sat down with the whole organization. We're like, here's our goals, right? First and foremost, everyone's health. You know, we're not going to jeopardize anyone's health. No one's going to travel. No one needs to get in the office, all these things. Secondly, is everyone's jobs, right? We're going to do whatever it takes to make sure everyone keeps their job. And we did that. We kept, everyone kept their jobs. And then thirdly, we're going to plan for the worst. Fourthly, we're going to, we're going to hope for the, we're going to, sorry, we're going to plan for the worst. And fourthly was we're going to act as if it's the best. So we're not going to take our foot off the gas. And that felt, you know, we can see clearly, look, our values are connection, right? It was most important was all of us would stay together. And also that we treated all of our suppliers, clients, kind of everyone as well with that level of, you know, respect and so forth. And I think I had a chat earlier today, I think how organizations behaved in COVID was, the, you know, it bared their soul, right? You could see... Okay. You know, and you and I have lots of conversations today with people interested in HC, and a lot of it stems back to how they were treated twelve months ago. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I just and it comes back to I think to our ethos of business, which is it is long term, it is about the journey, it is about connections, and and that that I think has been a, a real a positive for our, for us and I wouldn't you know obviously the commodity markets have improved these last three years as well so it might all be luck rather than judgment I don't want to <laughs> don't want to claim but you know we, we are um you know I think HC is going through its you know a bit of a rebirth over the last couple of years and it's really exciting to be part of it and part part of that is your your podcast and bringing communities to life how have you found that journey of content <clears throat> so uh, we actually, um, and again, I credit Justin Pearson with this, um, you know, 10 years ago started to create content, um, which is easy for, easier for us to do because we have such a defined community. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it's, a, it's one which is also quite opaque. You know, there's not much out there and, you know, it's not a, it's not a it's not particularly transparent space. Yeah. Um, mainly because it's market intelligence which drives performance for these businesses, right? They, if you can find out that you can sell a particular commodity for more in Peru than you can in Turkey, then you don't want to tell anyone else that you want to go sell it. So there's a little bit of a, you know, it's it's very much a um, an under wraps community in some senses. But we started HC Insider, which is our content hub, and all we were actually doing, you know, um, hopefully the statute of limitations is over, but we were just reposting news articles initially, and that's something that Damien and I wanted to change, you know, pretty quickly when we took over. Say, like, let's can we create content that is is um, is is original to us, but still is engaging. We had quite an interesting engaged um, listening audience to the, receiving those emails, um, <clears throat> and and really start. You know, I guess all we're trying to do is demonstrate to our clients and the candidates in our community that, hey, look, two things. This is our level of access. This is the kind of people that we're talking to on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And this is our passion for this sector, right? Our expertise in it. So we're advertising our connections and our expertise. Um, that really has grown to where, um, you know, we've now got uh, 
a podcast. We've got a, an in-conversation with series, which we talk to CEOs across the sector. And I think we're bringing something a little bit unique in that we're able to have these conversations on topics that are relevant to everyone in the commodities markets mm -hmm. that are interesting. They're, you know, they're not, they've not got a, a news angle or they've not got a sales angle to it, which is with you know, the only traditional sources of, of information. And we're always able to draw it back to what we are experts in, which is the, the people impact, right? I think the, you've got to be so careful that you're not creating content that is teaching your clients how to do their business. Cause you don't know, right. I don't know how to trade oil. I you know, don't know how to, to build a pet food company. I do know a little bit about the communities that can do that. And so you've got to be very careful, but it has, uh, you know, we've just over the very long period built a content platform that in, it does two things for us. Ultimately, it's about obviously empowering our people to be more successful in their current roles, right? Um, so it provides some quick and easy legitimacy to our all of us in the company. Hey, we did this interview with so and so. You might have interest, you know, um, and, and and demonstrates to our to our to our community our passion for it and, and interest in the sector. Um, <clears throat> and the second thing it does is it it, um, it gives them another angle to have conversations with people, you know, beyond just got any jobs type thing, right? So so I think it's um it has been um it has been really exciting period for doing that the, the podcast itself i think um that's that's now a year old we've got 60 episodes um we've had people as famous as uh, these aren't famous outside of our sector but daniel jurgen and sure. jeff curry and so forth on and you know really built quite a following um and I, again i think all of these things are just tying back to demonstrating access and expertise but keeping a humbleness and a humility over it and it builds community and that's yeah. Like if you're sharing value to people of, who have shared interests and you own the conversation, like if you own the bar, you know, you're already <laughs> better than somebody who's going into the bar. You know? So we, uh, when we started this podcast three, four years ago, um, I was, I felt kind of stuck in this rep track because I did IT recruitment before and I just started bringing on some people who were interested in and then it led to some clients and then it just came, kind of rattled on for a couple of years. Like I got to a point that myself and Andy set up a private community from it. And then that there led, led to our consulting business on top of this. And you never know where these things are going to take yeah. you once you, once you get into the, the journey of it. So, um, but one, one thing I like, some people would think we coach a lot of uh, recruiters at the moment. I think a lot of recruiters are getting lost in doing content just for attention. And it's, I'm, I'm a big believer that the business should take care of the content as much as possible for letting the recruiters to focus on what they do best. Where do you, where do you stand on that and the whole rise of the personal brand? So I think um, there's a couple of points to make there. Firstly, our mission as a business is to be the best at connecting people in the commodity value chains. Mm -hmm. The mission of our, we call it the ELT, the executive leadership team, mm -hmm. is to provide the best platform for our people to be able to do that, right? And I think that I kind of have this, it's a bit of a bad analogy, but it's, I kind of think of it like, you know, an aircraft carrier, 
Mm. You don't want your your fighter pilots, you know, refueling their own planes, yeah, you know, <laughs> organizing their flight plans and all the rest of it, right? You just want them up there doing whatever they got to do. And so I think of the 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 you know the mission is to create the best platform that enables your people to spend as little time doing other things other than building communities and recruiting within them and offering the clients the value that's differentiated to all of our competitors, right? So I completely agree that you don't want people feeling like they had to do, you know, right, be journalists, you know, alongside being recruitment consultants. Um, so, so, you know, we as an organization have actually, we've got, we've got a, a head of content, we've got a, a content writer, you know, we've got all of these things in place the mean, you know, and I'm doing the podcast, you know, and so forth, that, that we can create the great content centrally. What we ask for our, our consultants is two things. Who, do, who does it need to go to, right? Um, you know, who, build your communities. We want to see in our, you know, you build a, for your practice, yeah. a community around it that are getting this content. Secondly, we do ask our consultants to say, what, what are the topics of interest out there? And then we can convert that into content for them. Yeah. And I think you've got to be really clear as well. Content, you know, none of, we're not, you know, ultimately is about driving revenue for the business. It's in and of itself doesn't make any money, right? So you've got to, you've got to make sure that it's supporting the business. You're talking, you're talking topics that are of interest. Think, you know, it's, it's a positive net, it's a force multiplier for your people as opposed to a drag. And you've also got to be like really quite, you know, clear that, um, yeah, who's who, who's, you know, making sure people are doing, yeah, you know, again, just with topics and who it goes to. Let's not get people so worried that they feel like they have to also be a journalist or a yeah, undercover yeah. reporter, right? You know, and and not all of us have the same skill sets or desires to to do any of this kind of yeah. stuff. Um, so I think you do have to be really careful about that. And I don't think all also, not every recruitment firm out there, I think is, is necessarily going to be as content, um, needs to be as content focused as others. If you don't have a defined community, then you probably don't want to focus in on content because the worst thing, the worst thing, and you see this on a lot of recruitment websites is there's one or two articles and they're all from 2017. Because yeah. then it, it, it's worse than not having it, right? Um, so it's it's not only is it um, challenging to get right, and I, we haven't by no means have got it, you know, one hundred percent right. It also takes an incredible amount of commitment. As a, a dear friend and colleague of mine says, content is is compound interest, right? It takes a long time for it really to get going, mm -hmm. and you've also got to have something to say. Because as Damien would say, the world is awash in content, mm -hmm. right? So you've got to have content that you stand by. And that actually has some value and meaningfulness to it. Yeah, and it's tough to keep it going. You know, I've 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 hit pause on this when I bore myself every now and then, <laughs> and then I wait until something interesting's happened or like the world has changed or there's something out there that I like. I think okay, now I'm going to explore this, and then I find it's interesting for a bit, and then I'm looking for the next the yeah next topic. But I've been doing I'm this a... for so long now, so it's it, <laughs> you'll probably get to that. Yeah, right. I, 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 I gave myself off the summer off. I, I think because it's such a vast world that we're dealing with, I've, it's just been such fascinating conversations. Um, we've also actually, it's, you know, it's also grown in the sense that now we're being asked to moderate 
sessions at Reuters panels and Fantastic, you know, going yeah. and joining the conferences. So it's been it's been really fun. Um, and uh, you know, but again, I, I don't think anything ever replaces um, a consultant having a conversation directly. You've got to you've got to make sure that content mm. you know, doesn't become your sole strategy, or it, the budget bloats so much that you know you're yeah. forgetting you know what really makes a difference, which is great people, well trained, motivated, and passionate about their markets. I'm ca- I'm conscious of the time here, so I want to just jump into how the world of executive search is changing, and how you know the boutique executive search goes and manages to catch up on the traditional shrek firms what 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 are you guys doing different that's enabling that growth so i think so why is the world of search changing to start off with you know quite clearly 20 years ago it was about the the, the, the rate limiting factor was knowing who existed yeah right? Right. If, you, if you were to you know oh, find me ahead of boeing sorry ahead of head of aerospace you'd probably have to hire in your Shrek or whomever it was, the head of former head of Boeing to be able to know that community. Mm. And I think obviously clearly what's happened now is all of that has become ubiquitous. transparent, yeah. ubiquitous, right? Any firm can create a mapping list overnight. Yeah. There's some nuances to that. We did a bit of a, um, a couple of years ago, an interesting study where we compared our database. Mm. I think we chose gas traders to, um, to LinkedIn and about 20% of people weren't on LinkedIn from that community. So it's not, LinkedIn is not fully penetrated. That, that held true across a couple of other communities as well. So it's not full penetration. In fact, even people are dialing off a little bit on it. Mm. But ultimately, it shifted from the challenge being, being hard to know who to know to now it being hard to um, contextualize that individual in, against their peer group and get them all across the line and actually recruit them, right? That would be my take. So, and I think in that transition, what's happened is the boutique search firms are much more effective or can be much more effective because they're trusted and known within those small communities at being able to really assess Mm. talent, you know, um, and compare them to their peer group all those things that really a client is actually looking for, they know the names, typically in our searches, everyone knows the potential target pools. It's who's actually right and who's available, right? And how and the deep referencing on them mm. and then actually being able to close them. All of those things require so much contextual information that unless you're specialized and focused, I think it becomes really hard to meet client expectations. And you even see this within the big search firms. A lot of them, you know, they become more and more specialized. They build out these practices, but you're still not getting quite to the level of detail that, you know, um, there might in our world, there might only be eight people in the world that can do that role. You really have to know them backwards and forwards. And yet they, and ultimately they have to want to pick the phone up to you. And the only way they pick up, yeah. And the only way they pick up the phone to you, you've got to telegraph through that community that you can be trusted that you are experts and that you are the real, you know, I hate to say the real deal. Yeah. Um, so that, that I think has been a huge transition that's continued to go on. Um, and clients, the level of expectation now from our clients about us being their kind of eyes and ears and market intelligence, human intelligence for them mm. is, is vastly different from 10 years ago. Um, and, the other, you know, and, and, and that in some ways plays into why we've got a client base that really hasn't changed, it's grown, 
but we tend to you know um, retain our clients for quite a long period of time because you get so embedded in that more strategic level um, recruitment for them you when know. when somebody joins you from let's say like somebody's well trained at a Walter to page or a hydrogen group or somewhere where you know the the training program's good they, they hire they're quite specific on who they hire well what's their big upskill to going from working from a good contingent recruitment firm to working in search so i think i can write and say that probably all of our best hires are people who come from contingent environments or those mm. good you know contingent recruiters um <clears throat> i i think there's a lot of myth about you know the sort of um the the hard and fast barriers between contingent and search i, I agree i agree but i'm just yeah. curious yeah so I, I actually just think that if the, the certainly the level of client expectation goes up there's no i couldn't find the person or walk away yeah. right there is i'm now going to prove i've got to prove why i didn't find that person and come up with other solutions and so forth so i think it's probably more about the personality you know curious problem solving intelligent you know communicators all of you know all of those things that means that they can start to operate at that more senior level and bigger expectations yeah. I, and I actually think that, in my experience, it it does always take a little bit longer than you ever think, right? Mm. Um, just because there is sort of this, there is a transition in terms of the just getting used to the the process and the expectations and the detail and the depth you have to go into. Mm. You know, you you really do have to understand those communities, and that does take a bit of time. But I don't I don't think I think a great recruiter in a, where in a contingent firm can make a great recruiter in a search firm what doesn't actually i think work so much is the traditional search model where you've got this very stark divide between kind of the the officers and the, the mm. soldiers right you've kind of got these business developers who you know they, they they certainly look a lot smarter than i do and you know fantastic presentations yeah but they don't they're not really in touch with that the community that they're recruiting from oh for sure yeah yeah they've got this army of associates underneath them so we've also had good, good success taking those associates who you know i want to meet the client and, and they you know, and we're like well great day one you know <laughs> um so so i don't think there's such a big barrier i think it's more about the personality and their willingness and commitment to invest in what is a lot harder um invest or more significant investment in a single search right the level of expectation the amount of work you have to put in to really get under the skin of that community uh okay uh just before we finish up paul um if we're to catch up in one year's time where's the business going to be compared to today um so hopefully we're just furthering our mission right um so i think i you know which is to, again to connect people in the commodity value chains I, I think we obviously we want to continue to grow because that provides everyone the career opportunities that they want. You know, we've got um, really exciting growth in Abu Dhabi, really exciting growth in, in New York, um, and actually globally, you know, we, we ourselves, you know, we're, I think like a lot of firms at this stage, you know, we're looking for talent. So hopefully we're, we're not sat halfway through the year, next year, you know, behind on our headcount budget. Hopefully we will all have met again um, you know, we, we really have missed doing the company-wide offsite. So I think mm. it's so important. You know, we all get to spend that time together and the kind of the reforge some of those connections that have been strained by, you know, VCing for for eighteen months. Um, so 
and I think all of those are that they're, they're going to happen. What's really exciting as well is actually thinking about what more can we be doing within our world, within the community, of connecting people. Does it just have to be for permanent roles? Can we get more involved in some of these expert networks, that kind of thing as well? All of which is in the in the business plan. Um, and hopefully, you know, the uh, the HC Insider podcast will have a few more stars and reviews as well. All right, Paul. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thanks, Dalton.